All right. Good morning. Hope you guys are having a good weekend so far and getting ready for um, Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday. It actually falls on the same day as our anniversary, huh? Mm-hmm. 41 years. Yeah. So excited about that. And um, just stop eating less so you can eat more on Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> All right. We are in Second Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we find ourselves. We're going through the book of 2 Corinthians. We're Paul writing this letter as a follow-up to his first letter in 1 Corinthians to the church there in Corinth. And remember we talked about Corinth and those areas on the map. If you remember last few times we've been putting the map up and those regions uh, under the Roman Empire had different names than what we call them today, but uh, you know, again, this Corinth was in um, modern-day Greece. Well, actually, it was Greece back then too. <laughs> um, but uh, modern-day Greece for what we what we call it uh, as well. So he's going to be writing to them, and let's go before the Lord, and we'll pick it up there in verse one. Father, we. Thank you now for this time that we get a chance to look into your word. Father, we ask that you would move in our hearts and our midst by your spirit, Lord, and draw us closer. Help us to see you and what you have for us this morning, Lord, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. uh, Remember, there were some in Corinth who were uh, challenging Paul's authority and his influence uh, on the church. So he's going to be talking about that uh, for the first part of it, continuing on with that, actually. And, you know, some of them had this attitude. Well, who do you think you are, Paul? What gives you the right to say such things to us? You know, um, again, uh, the, the things that he was talking about, remember there was, um, uh, there was factions in the church, some like Peter, some like Paul, some like Apollo, some like you know, uh, Jesus, uh, this or that, that, you know, this is the person that is, the, you know, the best or, you know, the most spiritual or the greatest teacher or this or that. There is this, you know, divisions among them. And, and it's not, not wrong to like one teacher uh, more than another or someone that ministers to you a little bit better. There's nothing wrong with that. But you just have to realize that's the person that I enjoy or ministers to me or I feel like where the Lord has me. And the other ones aren't bad or wrong or anything. They're just they're just different, and 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 that's I, I believe how you know, you know where you one of the reasons how you fit into a, a church, you know by by what's taught. But they you know created all these factions, and it was this you know spiritual one-upmanship. You know, well I have this, I have this, I, you know. And so Paul was talking to him about that. He was talking to him about lawsuits they were having, how that shouldn't happen. He was talking about how they had a, a man in there who was part of the church, who was living with his stepmom, and it seems like she wasn't even a believer, and it was a stepmom, and they, were, they knew about it, and they were even celebrating it, like, hey, this is, look how good we are and open and, uh, you know, to, to all these things. Paul was addressing that. He, he was addressing, you know, a number of things in the church and spiritual gifts. We talked about that for a number of chapters and everything. And so, you know, those are the things that, he wrote in his first letter, and, and, and it caused some of them in the church, not all of them, but some of them, you know, to say, who are you, Paul, and what gives you the right to do that? And, who, you know, to tell us to change this, or this isn't right, or do that, or don't do this. 
And that was their challenge to him. And so in the last, actually the first three chapters, and he's going to continue on really through the letter talking about it, um, who he is and why he has this right to do that. And we pick that up, you know, as where we left off in chapter two. So verse one of chapter three says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some others epistles of uh, condemnation, condemnation, commendation, sorry, uh, to you, or letters of condemnation, not condemnation, commendation, there it is, I'll get it out, commendation from you. Um, here, I, I put it in the New Living Translation, I think it's a little easier to understand, and it says this, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. So Paul is saying, you know, continuing on of who he is to them. And again, uh, you know, are we just lifting ourselves up so that we'll be liked better than the teaching or the ministry of Peter or Apollos or anybody else that came and went in the, in the church there in Corinth? I mean, is it all about us and we're just doing all this so that we'll be like the best or whatever? Um, and he says, so, you know, are we like others that need to have a letter of recommendation or, uh, um, you know, something that shows that, hey, we're legit, we're, you know, we, we have this authority, this is who we are, this is where we've been, um, and show that to you? Or, or do you have to do that for us? Do you have to write us letters so that when we go places, we can say, oh, look, the church in Corinth, you know, uh, gives us the seal of approval. We've ministered there. They know that, you know, here's a letter from them telling us that, you know, we're legit, if you would, and we're good to have. Do, do I need to have that? Paul's asking them. Now, again, in that day, uh, just speaking about this as a whole, and not specifically what why Paul is saying this, you know, you couldn't pick up a phone, you couldn't email, you couldn't uh, text or follow up pretty easily at this person that was maybe coming into town and wanted to speak at the church or speak to the, you know, the Corinthian church there. Okay, well, who are you from? Where are you with? Oh, well, call, you know, such and such over, you know, the next city over, you know, whatever, the next state over and talk to them. They'll tell you that I'm, I'm legit and they know all about me. They couldn't do that, right? So as many were, just like Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas, Paul and, his, and companions, you know, again, they, they would travel from place to place. And there was a lot of people that actually did this. And so because there were so many, and then it became kind of out of hand, there was people just abusing that just to take advantage of the free food and the free lodgings and maybe feeling, you know, special, working on their ego, and they would th say there's somebody important in the church, and, oh yeah, I, I walk with Jesus, or whatever kind of claims they would have, um, you know, it, it probably became out of hand, and so eventually people uh, want, needed to carry letters of recommendation showing, well, look, at, here is from this church, uh, you know, and, and they know I'm legit, and this is what I do, and so they would carry that around as they traveled. And it's not much different than it is today, really. Here's a, an email I got um, actually last week, I think it was. And it's this gentleman, uh, you know, who has this ministry called Ed Education for Life. And you can see his name underneath there. And he, did, you know, he's 
talked about who he is and if you need somebody to, to teach on Sunday, if you want us to do this one Sunday or this little series, and then he kind of lists what he does there, and then you notice it says about me, and it'll tell him about you know who he is with, what church he was fellowshipping with, who the pastors are, and of course they're people that you know I would know, which I do know, and he starts you know listing all of that, kind of his letter of recommendation from them. In other words, you know I've ministered, I was serving at this church, they know who I am, and you, since you know them. You know, I, I'm part of all that. So it's nothing really new, even to us today. It's done a little differently, but in the same sort of way. Now back to the the point here is Paul is just, you know, um, are, are you know, are we just kind of like those people that you know? Well, you better make sure they're legit. You better make sure that they really are who they say they are. Do they really have the authority and the ability to speak to us? You know, like Paul did in that first letter that he wrote to them, uh, you know, or, or am I like that? Or am I somebody that you should treat like you don't know anything about me? Do I, do I need to bring these letters of recommendation? Or do you need to give them to me so that I can go out when I go out ministering to other places and sharing the gospel that I can carry them from you and show that I'm legit? That's what he's asking them. In verse 2, he says this, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And again, let me put the New Living Translation of that. I think it's a little easier to understand. It said, the only letter of recommendation we need is yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God that is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. So Paul was saying in response to anybody that was challenging his authority and who he was you know he says i don't need any of those things i don't need you to give me a letter i don't need to present to you a letter i don't need any of those it, it it's not like you don't know me or i don't know you um and we need some sort of reference to introduce each other no what we are and what we've said is evident by your own lives in Christ. I mean, Paul brought the gospel to Corinth. People came to know the Lord. Remember, he, <clears throat> he had just had a bad time uh, leaving Philippi before he came to Corinth there, and it was just horrible and difficult, and Paul, seemingly, when you read it, was really down. He shows up to Corinth, and this fear kind of grips him, like it would you or I. You know, oh, is this going to happen again? Am I going to be beaten again, thrown in jail again? And, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff. And, and the Lord shows up to Paul and gives him this comfort. He says, Paul, don't worry about that. I have many people in this town. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be okay. Continue to minister here. So he reassures them and then also tells him that there's going to be a big ministry there. So for about a year and a half, Paul stays there and literally births the church and causes it to grow. Uh, and he said, so I'm, you're that evidence that what I do is legit. 
I mean, just look at your own life. You know the Lord now. You've turned from, you know, these pagan idols, the Roman way of living, the Greek way of living, or whatever they were into, and now you have this new life in Christ. That in itself should prove that I'm legit. Look at the fruit of my work and the ministry and your new lives in Christ. Um, again, Paul wasn't like, those who followed after him after he established the churches that just brought some rule book to follow some legalism uh, that was there was a lot of that going on these jewish people that would come um, that were christians but said you also had to keep the law and you had to do all these things of moses and all that and there was always kind of that constant battle in the early church there and, and paul said listen i didn't do that i didn't bring that i i you had new new lives in Jesus Christ, and it wasn't some rule book to follow. Rather, it was the Spirit of God living in you. I didn't give some rule like, again, these words carved on stone. That's the picture he's given, right? Of, of uh, you know, the, the law, obviously, that was inscribed on stone. No, this is written in your hearts. And again, I think it's just a good thing to remember, too, as kind of a side note. Um, you know, people like to do this today like they did for Paul here. They're kind of discounting the message the message because they don't like the messenger. So they don't they discount what's said because for some reason they don't like the messenger. And for any number of reasons, uh, They'll say, well, you know, the message, I don't really like him or her or what she had to say or what he had to say or this or that because, you know, I've known him for too many years or who do they think they are or this or that or any number of reasons. And they'll discount the, the message because of the messenger. And I find that a lot of the time it's just a smokescreen. It's a smokescreen for not wanting to receive the truth of the message. So... Rather than deal with that, you know, am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it? I'm going to hear what it has to say or I'm not, you know, and all that. They just push that all aside and they say, the person's saying it and they come up with every reason why they shouldn't listen to them or believe them or like them or any of those kind of reasons. And, and therefore, they can discount the whole thing and just kind of, you know, tie it up in a nice Ziploc bag and throw it, you know, somewhere away and, and discount the whole thing. Uh, you know, they'll say, oh, well, this pastor's like this, or this ministry's got this problem, or this or that, and they'll throw all that out, uh, the message along with all that. <clears throat> and again, rather, you know, we should rather receive what he has to say to us, you know, uh, through his Holy Spirit, as he reveals it through his word, and be open, and always um, look past the messenger. Um you know, obviously, it's got to line up with what the Bible says. You know, the Holy Spirit will confirm it in your heart. I really believe that. Or at least, you know, there's, you know, there's not that lingering, oh, this, that, that doesn't sound right kind of a thing, right? You're just like, oh, okay. And it's always good. Okay, Lord, is this from you? Um, you know, and, and if we start thinking about why we don't like that person, then, you know, you're kind of going down the wrong path. Let's not worry about what he or she or they or whatever look like or did or done or this or that, let's, let's hear, you know, let, let, let the message speak, and uh, I'm going to look past all that. I'm going to, you know, focus on, Lord, is that from you? Do I need to hear that? And I think that's an important thing that we should do. The, these guys, you know, didn't like Paul, and so they were discounting 
what he said because they didn't like the message messenger and so they wanted to throw out the message with the messenger and paul said listen you even have the opportunity to receive any message from the lord is because of what we did there in planting the church now obviously it was done by the power of uh, uh, and the spirit of the holy spirit and, and of the lord but paul also throws his name in the hat there but you know i'm the the one that the lord used to to do all those things and so he says you know don't don't discount the message because of the messenger and i think it's important that we learn from that as well well verse 4 he goes on to say and we have such trust through christ toward god not that we are sufficient of ourselves to do and uh, i'm sorry to think of anything as being from ourselves but our sufficiency is from god and again, I'll, I'll put this up in a New Century version because I like how that reads. He says, we can say this because through Christ, we feel certain before God. We are not saying that we can do this work ourselves. It is God who makes us able to do all that we do. So again, in the same way, Paul's saying, yeah, but we were the ones that did it. But I understand it's not me or Silas or Barnabas or, or any of us doing that, we realize it's because of the Lord and it's His work in the Lord, you know, and it, based on what the Lord does through us. And of course, that's the same thing today true, right? It's the Lord working through us. It's not that we're so smart or just the opposite. We're so, you know, dumb, however you want to think of yourselves anywhere in between or how you feel about yourself at times. It has nothing to do with that, nothing to do how smart or how dumb or how good of a speaker or how poor of a speaker or anything else that you can throw in there. It's, it's not about that. It's not about you. It's about Him working through you. And uh, again, it's not about, you know, being very intellectual and being able to process those things and then be able to put that out. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God, speaking to people. Uh, and, and again, I think it's important that we trust the Word of God, not just intellectually, but also what it has done in our lives, right? And our sufficiency or our qualification, um, as some translation put, put, put uh, translated, our sufficiency or qualification is from God and not from us and again that's something we need to remember as well you know when we get the i can't do that how am i going to do that i'm not this i'm not that you know or you know we're on the opposite end oh i can do that i can handle it i got all that and you leave god out of the equation on this side or that side and we need we need him and again it's not about us it's about him working through us and so that takes the ego out of the equation and that takes the you know the self-depreciating or the I can't do this or I'm not trained or I'm not smart or I'm not knowledgeable enough or whatever thing we use that takes that away as well and, and it just reminds us to look past the messenger as well oh they're too young they're too old they're not too smart oh they're very too smart they're uneducated oh they're too educated I, I mean people go on and on about all these reasons why they you know want to discount the the messenger and you know saying oh that kid's too young how you know i he hasn't lived you know 25 years how can he 
you know, speak to me that's 60 years old or whatever. Or, you know, that guy is like 75. How can he speak to me that's 25? That guy is so out of touch. He's living, you know, 10 generations ago or whatever, right? And, and you, you have to look past all that and come up with those excuses. That's what the Corinthian church was doing. They were looking, well, again, some of them, not all of them. Make, make sure we understand that we're, we're doing and again, it's important that we don't fall into that same trap. And I think that's also true for the church, you know. I, I hope it's the same here, you know, that we don't have some program or some formula or some structure. It's not education. It's not a lack of education, but it must be from the Lord and His working in the church, in our church Today, it's not about any of those things. It has to come from the Lord. We can't say, oh, that program's successful. Look at that. You do this, you do this, you do this, and man, you're going to have success. And, and quite frankly, almost every, if not every denomination has some, some of that. They'll say, here's a program that worked in you know, these 20 churches across the Midwest or in Southern California or in Massachusetts or whatever, you know, these these international or national denominations and this is what you need to do so starting applying this to your church and you know you'll have the same success that they will it's, then then you put your faith and your hope in some program or some uh, structure or your education you know if you just get this education uh, and learn this much then you know you're able to do all these kind of things it's it's not about that either it's about it must be from the Lord and the Holy Spirit working in a person or in a church's life. And, you know, again, a person can try to do it all and all the right things that people say um, uh, and still just come crashing down and be a big flop and how it works out or how things go, um, you know. But one thing is, it's exciting to see when it's a true work of God. Because then you realize it's certainly not that person. It's certainly not that, those group of people doing that. I mean, look at them, you know. Sometimes I think it's the, the worse off they are in some sense, the more glory God gets because you, you look past all the reasons that would be to fail. And so, man, there's certainly not them. certainly not some program they came up with. certainly not this or that. It has to be from God. And then you people, and we do get excited about that. When we see that, because then we know it's God working. And Paul would say that, you know, whatever you think about me, God's working. Look at your life. Look at the church that you have right now. Look what's going on. You can see it's Him working and the Holy Spirit working through you. And he says in verse 6, "...who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills..." but the Spirit gives life. Okay, he, he says, you know, um, God made us qualify to minister or to give out this new covenant. And again, the new covenant is life in the Spirit. It's grace and mercy and forgiveness of sin. It's Jesus, right? And, and it's not about I'm qualified. It's about the Lord made me qualified. He's the one that said, you're the man, <laughs> Paul. I'm going to use you. And, and again, and this is the message he had me bring, is this new covenant of life in the Spirit. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. It's not the law. 
it's not uh, that's a letter uh, written here here you go here it is all this you know it's it's found in the Ten Commandments or you know in the Old Testament maybe in those days in the scroll it's here it is uh, it's all this this is it here's the rule book and they throw it at you and you know follow this and do that and do that you know that was kind of the old covenant the Old Testament where God gave the law he says that's not what we're telling you this is a letter written here it's God dwelling in our hearts and in our lives it's not the letter it's the spirit that gives life now first Corinthians as we did a few weeks back or months ago you know remember 316 said you know don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you and of course there's a number of verses in the New Testament talk about you know the Holy Spirit dwelling in us the Lord dwelling in us Jesus dwelling in us all of us you know the whole thing dwelling in our hearts and in our lives not he's found written on the pages of this scroll or this book or this Bible or you know this tablets of stone the Ten Commandments no it's not out there it's in here and that's really what he even promised those in the old old covenant right and Jeremiah 31 says this this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time declares the Lord I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts I will be their God and they will be my people and again even back then when they were going through much and and the nation was going to be turned upside down on its head God said listen there's going to be a time where it's not going to be about the law I gave to the nation of Israel it's not going to be that you know Ten Commandments and all those other things I dictated to to Moses and all this no I'm it's not going to be here it's going to be here and I'm going to write it and, and it's going to give this uh, the Spirit gives life he's dwelling in our hearts just think about that I mean, just think of the blessings and the advantage we have of that new covenant of the Lord dwelling in our lives. The Holy Spirit just dwelling in us, leading us and guiding us. Remember, in the old covenant, you know, you can count on one hand how many people actually had the Holy Spirit in them, um, at least most, if not all the time. And that's it. And everything else, you know, the 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 Lord would come and, and speak to them in some way, you know, uh, give them a, a vision or a dream or, or speak to their heart in some way. And, and then, you know, that would be it. And they'd come and maybe it happened a dozen times in a person's life or twice in a person's life or, you know, any number of things. And yet, look at the great advantage we have, you know, 24-7 choosing to dwell in us. And that's just, you know, earth-shattering, in my opinion, to see that. But sadly, some people misinterpret this. They misuse this verse. And I remember one person uh, a long ago that was struggling with sin. And, you know, they quoted this verse to me. And they said, the letter kills, but, you know, the Spirit needs new life. In other words, what they were saying was the, the letter, and then they were referring to the letter as the Bible is killing me. 
uh, because, you know, I just can't do it. And so, you know, therefore I have the spirit to live how I want to live. <laughs> and you can't have a wronger understanding of what the Lord is saying here. It's not referring to the Bible. It's referring to the law because of what the law did. Remember what the law did? Why, why does it kill, the letter kill? Because the law just revealed man's sin, right? It revealed God's holy standard, and you had to keep that standard, you know, as part of the nation of Israel, and here it is. And what it proved is you can't do it. And even Paul would say later on, and we'll, we'll get to it, you know, I, I couldn't keep the, 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 the law, it slayed me. You know, I tried to do some of them, but I got to the last one. I'm like, man, that, I just, just, that one's impossible, right? I got through some of them. And I, okay, I think I got those. But man, there was this one. It just, that's it. You know, it's all over with. And, and the law brought knowledge of sin and failure and showed how far off from God we are. Contrary to the Spirit, which gives us life. Yep, I'm a sinner. I don't meet that standard. But here, I'm giving you Jesus who paid for your sins on the cross, who's resurrected now and chooses to dwell in you, giving us new life. That's what he's referring to. That's what it's talking about here. And then he continues on with this, this glorious new covenant in verse 7. He says, but if the ministry... Uh, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, right, you get the idea, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadily, uh, could not look steadily, I'm sorry, at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how many, I'm sorry, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? And so now Paul takes it a little step further. He says, okay, you know, listen, this ministry that the, given us the law and, and the, you know, and God's law through the Ten Commandments and all that he spoke, to, you know, to Moses on the, the mountain and as they were building the tabernacle and all those things he wrote down that, you know, that we have written in the law there. He says, when that was given, the Ten Commandments was given, it was, it was glorious. It was amazing. Remember, here they are on Mount Sinai. They've taken about a year to travel from Egypt parked it really at the base of Mount Sinai, and, and the Lord told Moses, listen, you know, you put a fence, basically, or you put some uh, police barricade tape or whatever around the base of the mountain. Don't let animals, don't let people, don't let anybody go past that barricade. They, they need to see that I'm holy, and you just can't cross over and come. They, you need to understand that, and then I'm going to show them, you know, a, a little bit of my glory. And of course, you remember there was smoke and fire and earthquakes and you know, it was like, I, I don't know, I picture it like a, a volcano eruption that didn't cause any damage. And that's how I look at it. I don't know if that helps you because there was smoke and fire and earth was shaking. And just like you would have a major volcanic eruption, but without the lava and the rocks flying and people you know, ducking for cover and getting out of the way of burning lava, right? But it was all kind of happening without moving. And people were like, ah oh, and ah, oh, right? It was just amazing. It was glorious. It was wonderful. And, you know, it was just people that were saw it were in awe, to say the least, right? And again, uh, uh, and not only that, but when the Lord, I'm sorry, when Moses went in to speak to the Lord, and he called it the tent of the meeting. Now, this is before the tabernacle was set up, and then it was, that was called the tent of the meeting. But before that, there would be a tent outside set up for Moses and the Lord to meet. 
And Moses, when you know he was getting some instructions from the Lord or asking questions, he would go in there. And because he met with the Lord, this the, the radiance and the glory of God would reflect on Moses. And so when he walked out of the tent, people were like, whoa, you know, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Maybe you've seen a book or a movie or a TV show or something where, you know, a person's face or body is just super white light and, you, you know, you're kind of moving back forward, something like that. He was saying that, and that was even that glory, that majesty, that uh, amazing was even on Moses' face. And as he met and he came out, it was super bright, so he ended up just kind of putting this veil over. But slowly, you know, if he didn't meet with the Lord a few days or a week or something like that, that glory would kind of fade away into, into nothing. And what he was saying and what Paul is saying here um, through this, and we'll say here in a minute, he said, it's kind of like Moses and, and receiving that reflection of the Lord's glory on his face. You know, it was very bright and it just would slowly fade, 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 fade away. And, you know, it was a good picture of the law um, fading out and the new covenant would eventually be delivered to the world. And so Paul kind of uses that as, a, as an example. And again, the law was great, he says, and it was glorious. But how much more glorious is the ministry of the Spirit and the, the new covenant? So if that was amazing and glorious, and it certainly was. All of us would have you know, probably loved to have been there to see that, to, experiencing, uh, to experience all that and all those good things. But compared to that, um, compared to the new covenant, it's nothing. Maybe think of it this way. You know, the last few nights, uh, the moon's been shining pretty brightly, and you could see outside pretty good. And so maybe you're like, okay, cool, I can you know move around without having a flashlight and move around. There's enough light. I can see good enough. But compare the moonlight to the sunlight. <laughs> There's no comparison, right? I mean, you don't need anything when the sun's out. When the moon's out, you can see, but there's some darker places and, you know, you can just get by. But when the sun comes out, it's, it's just night and day, literally, right? <laughs> uh, literally night and day. And that's what Paul is saying here. The old covenant was glorious, but compared to the new covenant, it's like the difference between the moon and the sun. Right? Isn't it? Compared to, we know what the law is, we know what the regulations are, we know here it is, it's all hammered out, you know, supposedly in black and white, and how glorious that was when it was given, but compared to what they had, to what we have, it's almost indescribably different, right? And then he goes on to, in that same light, verse 9, for, the, for if the ministry of, I'll get this right, Commendation, 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 thank you, was glo had glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because the glory that excels. For what is passing away was glorious, but what remains is much more glorious. So again, this, this ministry of this old covenant, you know, it was here. There's no, much, there's no comparison to how wonderful the new covenant is compared to the old. And because the old was condemning, right? Um, Paul would say that in Romans. You know, it was just, uh, you know, the law just revealed our sin and our sinful condition. 
And then, you know, at the end of chapter 7, Paul said, what a wretched man I am. You know, what, what hope do I have? Sorry, that's a misquote. Uh, and, and then, you know, verse 1 of chapter 8 says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, right? He, he, he just goes through this whole list of how sinful and how far away we are, how the law revealed all that. And, you know, he kind of gets to this low part of chapter 7 at the very end and then, you know, springs back up. You know, it pointed out um, how far short we fall of God's standard. But what the glorious new covenant is, again, it's like the sun versus the moon. There's really no comparison. Much more glorious, if you would. Verse 12 says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not steadily, could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. So I, I, I like the word therefore. When it, you see therefore, why is it therefore? He says, you know, therefore, because, because the new covenant is so much more glorious, therefore, because we know that it's so much better and glorious and wonderful than the old covenant, he says, we're bold in our proclamation. We don't hold back. Paul says, we can preach Jesus with great boldness, unlike Moses, who could go in and see the Lord for a period of time and have some of his glory, uh, you know, reflect in his life for a, a period of time. Um, but then it would just slowly fade away. And, you know, Paul kind of again, takes it a little different because, you know, when the Old Testament says he put that up there because, um, you know, it was so bright that people couldn't, didn't want to see it or it was too bright for them or something. So he put the veil up. Paul says he put the veil up because, you know, they'd be looking at Moses, you know, three or four days after coming out of that, that you know, tabernacle of meeting and saying, well, man, he must have lost his touch with the Lord. Look at his, his flame is going out, right? His countenance is almost back to normal or whatever like that. And so is he doing what's right? Is he spiritual? You know, and so Paul put it in this way. It just showed that, you know, he needed to go back in there compared to us, God, who made a way for us to stay, if you would, in his presence 24-7 by dwelling with us. You know, and again, it's not fading. It's glorious and it doesn't end. The law was passing away. It was never God's intent for the law to continue on and on anyway. But, but again, um, it, it, was, it was for it to fade away and into the new glorious covenant of what he did with Jesus on the cross. One of the things that I, I just can't understand is there's a number of groups still out there today that want to keep portions of the law. I, I don't really get that. They... They want to keep this and this and this, and they kind of just, you know, my old tired illustration, it's kind of like going to a hometown buffet or a big smorgasbord or something, right? And, you know, you've got 10 choices of meats and 10 poultry and some fish, and then you got all these vegetables and desserts and breads and all this stuff, and so you pick this, and all oh, that roast beef looks good, oh, that, you know salmon looks good and you kind of put this on your plate you're putting that on your plate you know and so maybe you take 10 things out of 100 things right and and there's organizations that do. They look back in the old covenant oh we'll keep this we'll keep the sabbath uh we'll keep this holiday uh we'll we'll you know we'll do that thing that they did you know we'll we'll, we'll take this and I, I just you know 
okay, you pick that, you pick that. Of course, they come up with some great reason why that's more important than everything else. But, you know, when you read the New Testament, and particularly you read it here, and of course in Hebrews as well, it makes it very clear, it's passing away. You know, just like, a, a, like you know, verse 11 says, it's, it's passing away. What, why do you want to keep something that's passing away? And, you know, people think they're more, what happens is people think they're more spiritual because they keep these things, right? And that's what they do. We'll do this and this, and wow, you're really ahead of the group. You know, you're in the A League, not the B League. You're, you know, you're Division One. you're not Division Four. you know, <laughs> because we keep these things. And, you know, that's the selling point of all that. But people want to keep that. But it was passing away. Just like Hebrews uh, 10 tells us, and it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the veil that is his body. You know, and it sometimes says curtain, speaking of the Old Testament, but I'm kind of using it here as the veil, right? It's just like, you know, uh, it's not like Moses had to go in and enter into this place and then receive some of the glory and they would fade away. No, we now can go in, as I said, and spend all of our time with him because he chooses to spend all of his time with us. He chooses to dwell in us. Now, again, how does he dwell in each one of us individually and all at the same time? You know, that's one of the mysteries of heaven. And that's how I think, you know, in some sense, we'll dwell with him in heaven in the same way. And yet, you know, be together, be separate. And I, I don't know, there's some mystery there. And I probably shouldn't even enter down that because it doesn't really give us much detail on that. But, but the bottom line is that we have now, um, we don't have this passing glory. No, we, what we have, what remains is glorious, just like it said in the end of verse 11 there. So it's not fading away. What we have is just amazing because it doesn't go away. And then verse 14 says this, But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And so Paul talks about the Jews in his day and, you know, uh, whatever he wrote this in 60 AD or whatever it was around that time, you know, when, when they, you go to the synagogue uh, or in that time before the temple was destroyed, you go to the temple and, you know, it, it's like they have that same veil that Moses had but rather than you know showing the hiding the fading glory, it, it, he's now he's saying it kind of blinds their their minds, their eyes are are blinded. And you know, just think about it for a second. We all pretty much have some sense of the Old Testament, and if I were to ask you, you know, in your own mind to sum up the Old Testament, in some sense, most of us would say it, at least at some point, you know, it was telling us God's holy standard, you couldn't meet it, but you had to, you know, perform these sacrifices, you know, sacrifices innocent animals in place of me taking that punishment directly for my sin, right? It would be substituted by an animal, and at some point, 
you know, we, we would say and know that the Old Testament has a lot of sacrifices for, for sins, right? Whether it's a person or the nation or, or whatever those sins are, it came down to animal sacrifice. Now, in talking about how the Jews are blinded, even to this day, just, think, just remember this. The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., and the Lord clearly said that you needed to go to the temple or even before that, the tabernacle, the one place that he chose, um, but it was the temple, to perform these sacrifices. You, you couldn't do it any other place. It had to be done there. And of course, there's a lot of reasons for that. And we've talked about those over the past. But they haven't had a temple since 70 AD. So there has been no sacrifice for their sins since 70 AD. Now you think after all this time, there was no sacrifice for sin. We are so far behind in our sins, man. We're buried under, you know, a thousand feet of rubble. We, we just got so much sin on top of sin on sin. There's no way to mitigate that in some way, um, you know, having the substitutionary animal because we don't have a place to do it. And you would think they would think at this point, at some point at least, wow, we can't do that. Maybe God's not allowing this to be rebuilt because he's doing it a new way. <laughs> he's doing something different. What about all these Christians running around? What about Jesus and talking about the new covenant? You know, you think that would at least cause some light to go through the veil. But it doesn't. They still don't believe. And and really that veil is isn't just for the Jews, right? It's it, it in a some sense all people that don't know the Lord um, and, and you, know, you try to talk to them about Christian things and they just don't see it. They don't get it. Some of them respectfully just kind of go, okay, you know, and they smile and nod maybe. Some of them, you know, are a little more bold and they'll make fun of it right away. But you can't get upset by that. They're blinded. They can't see it. It's just like, you know, going into a room with no windows and you turn off the lights. You just can't see. You can't say, well, Doug, go sit in the chair. I can't, there's a chair here? I can't see anything, right? You, you wouldn't expect some person, you know, in a blacked out room that couldn't see anything and tell them to go get a cup of water or sit in the chair. They would just be, are you out of your mind? I can't even see my hand in front of my face. I'm going like this, I can't see it. And the same way they're blinded. And we can't expect them to see it because they're blinded and you know of course satan has deceived them as well there there's all that that add to that veil and blindness if you you would and you know that's one of the things we pray that you know that that the holy spirit would let them see that you know jesus said he's going to send the holy spirit in the world to convict the world sin righteousness and judgment he's going to bring people to him he's going to reveal and show them these things and we need to pray you know that the lord would do that let them see and some people, you know, like the condition of blindness. We have to accept that as well, right? There's some people that just say, I, I like, you know, uh, where I am. I, I don't want to know about any of that. Don't tell me about any of that. I don't know about you, but over, you know, the years of time, I've had a number of people, you know, Dylan, I don't want to hear it. Dylan, don't tell me that. Dylan, that's enough. I don't, I'm done listening to that. And, you know, get out of here. I mean, I've had people somewhat violently and somewhat and some very politely, but they're just like, nope, I don't want to hear it. And you've experienced that too, right? People come up, nope, 
I don't want to hear it. And you're like, wow, how could you not want to hear this? And, and it's like, of course you want to hear it. No, no, I, they like it. They're happy where, the, where they are. And we can't get mad or upset about that, but we can only pray is that, you know, uh, uh, that they will see the light of Jesus because it is blinding to them. And some people are very comfortable in that blindness. And, and there's others that are not, and we pray for, for both that the light of Jesus would break through, the Holy Spirit would open their eyes just as he did for us. Well, let's finish up here. Verse 17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Most of us have heard this verse many times, used in many probably different sermons over the years. But notice the context of it. It has to do with the law and the blindness and not being able to see and the difference between the Old Testament and the glorious New Testament. It all has to do with that. Because what happens, it gets misused and misapplied. And I'm not saying there's not other applications that can't come from it. But it speaks of the freedom that we have in the New Covenant. Directly in the context of the verse, it speaks the law it w- was this. There wasn't any freedom. You were, you were stuck under the weight of the law to fulfill and to comply with all God's righteous standards compared to the, the freedom or the liberty we have under the new covenant. You know, because we have his presence in us and our sin is already paid for. And, and all those things, there's, there's that great liberty or that great freedom compared to that great weight of the law. And that's what it's speaking of here, the freedom of the new covenant. But sadly, some usually generally very Pentecostal churches use this verse to justify what they do. And some things are crazy. And I'll say it in that way, crazy. I mean, I remember when this kind of all started, in my experience, I'm sure it's happened many hundreds of times over the years, but I remember in the 90s when the vineyard churches were kind of breaking off from the Calvary chapels and, uh, you know, they were going towards more of Pentecostal and all that, which was fine and there was room for that. It wasn't like an, it was very amical. They, you know, they kind of, you know, they want to emphasize that a little bit more than this and that and, you know, everybody was okay with it. It wasn't any big split or division, but eventually I saw it after the years went by, you know, they were doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, they would be barking in the spirit, uh, acting like animals. I, I had to go see one of the services myself because I just didn't quite believe that people actually could <laughs> to do that. And here it is. And, and then if you said anything contrary to that, they would say, they would use this verse, right? They'd say, oh man, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. That means I can do, that gives me license to do anything I want to do and call it within the spirit of God. Clearly, that's not what it's talking about, and clearly that's just an excuse people use to do whatever they want to do and call it being under the influence of the Spirit. And sorry, that's not what it says at all. What it is saying clearly, though, is that we have this boldness to enter in, right? We have this great liberty in our relationship with the Lord, and it's not to disobey what the Word says and not to go contrary to what His Scripture tells us but we do have this great freedom in the Lord compared to what the law was, right? And then he finishes up with this in verse 18, and it says, But we all with unveiled faces behold 
as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And again, you know, a person in Jesus can see uh, what uh, we should uh, reflect, which is Jesus. Unlike Moses, the, the, the glory was fading away, you know, fading away from the Lord. Uh, but our glory, because we're in the presence of the Lord, is and should always be there, right? It, it's just, you know, we... Now, uh, again, remember back in those days, their mirrors weren't like our mirrors, right? They would take some sort of, um, uh, usually metal, but they would use other things as well, and they would polish them, and, and then you would get some sort of reflection. It's kind of like using your cell phone as a mirror, right? Some people look at the glass on the front, or they have a little something on the back, and it, you know, you can kind of see a little bit of who you are through that. I've seen a lot of kids do that. They use their cell phones as kind of a mirror, right, just to give a quick look of everything. You can't see very clearly, but maybe you can see clearly. I don't know, but you can't, right? And if you would, um, you know, uh, right, you know, the glory of the Lord is, when we see it in its fullness, is, is going to be overwhelming. But what we can do right now, and what we should do right now, is reflect Jesus in our lives. We should be, if you would, uh, demonstrating that reflection or the glory of a transformed life. And really the calling is each day we should look more and more like Jesus. And the great news is the liberty, the freedom in the Lord is we can because of His Holy Spirit in us, right? We can do this. It's not something that you have to do and work hard on. He's in you to lead you and guide you to look more and more like Jesus each day. And you may say, well, how, how, how does that happen? Well, in worshiping Him and studying His words and looking at Him and spending time in prayer. And, uh, you know, the more time we spend with Him, the more we'll look and become like Him. It's a pretty simple way of doing those things. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you can see and know and reflect, and of course, in this case, be like Jesus. And that's what he's called us to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do again thank you for this glorious new covenant and all that you've done in our hearts and all that you're going to do. And Lord, help us to remember that there's many, uh, too many, Lord, with veiled faces, whether Jew or non-Jew, Lord, that... Uh, you know, like being in the dark, or at least they don't even know they're in the dark. And the things that we say when we share the good news to them just, you know, can't seem to penetrate that. And it can be very frustrating, but the reality is that you, you know, it takes your spirit to break through all that. You know, the lies of the enemy and uh, the things that they believe in their lives are good in that way and don't need any of this or can't understand this or see this, Lord. And so help us to be those that seek you and ask you to open the eyes and let them see and let them hear and let them know and remove that, that veil that covers them, Father. And, and again, help us to reflect and look more like Jesus each day. And I, I believe that that glorious reflection will help take away that, that um, uh, blindness and that covering, at least peer through some of that that blindness and some of that the veil that they have over their face this, your glory will certainly do that and so we thank you for these things lord help us to 
understand them and grow in them and most importantly grow in our love and uh, our relationship with you. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.